Amen. Thank you, brother. This is one of those passages that the longer I studied it, the more I realized was there. And I, I feel like apologizing to the Holy Spirit for only having one service to go over this passage. So we may hear from this again soon in a preaching ministry of First Friends. There is so much here that has been building. There is so much that James has been talking to us about. And he says, the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter of all of this is your heart and how it is aligned with, with yourself, how it is aligned with others, and how it is aligned with God. There's a story I read years ago about um, a captain of a ship, and he's plowing through the darkness and the fog, and he, saw, he sees off in the distance. And he tells his signalman on the boat, he says, send a message to that ship out there, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. And a message was quickly returned to the captain of the boat saying, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. The captain was angered and his command had been ignored. And he says to the messenger, send a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am the captain. Another message was soon received on the ship. Alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am seaman third class, Jones. The captain was just enraged by this point, knowing that this last message would send fear into those of the recipients. Alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I am a battleship. And if you don't alter your course 10 degrees because of battleship, well, you might just be a lighthouse. The message returned, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. And I thought that story is oftentimes so descriptive of how our spiritual life can be. God says, this is my law, this is my word, this is my spirit, this is my way, and it is our compass. It is to be our guide. It is to be the GPS settings for the way that we live. Any of you who have been on a boat, you use all of those things to make sure that you travel in a safe place, in a safe manner, you get to where you want to go in the time that you planned on getting there. But yet we try to set our own heading. And we try to tell God where to direct us, where he needs to go. And it's like we stand in the battleship and we stand in our lighthouse and we demand that the other one move. We demand that the other one alter course. And at the end of the day, the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God. And we can spend our life... What James talks about in this passage is what I want to look at is, is, is this internal war that's going on between, uh, between ourselves, within ourselves, with each other, and with God. And then we're going to look at God's kind of peace initiative offering to each of us this morning as we follow along together through this passage. As I, as I pondered this scripture this week, though, it just seems like as powerful and as rich as this is, Lord, how many of us are just going to look at this passage and, and just gloss over it? We're going to be distracted during the message. We're going to be distracted during the week. And it's just going to be like someone guiding us to the right course of action and, and living and us just totally missing the message. I was reading about an author who wrote a book. I haven't read the book. Uh, the title is intriguing, but it says, When You're All of Noodles is the name of the book. But he tells a story in his book. Uh, he's, a, he's a counselor, and he walks into his office one day, and there's this machine there on the counter that he never heard before. It was round and about the size of a dessert plate. Now, 
Depending on how you think of dessert, it could be like that, or it could be like that, depending on how you envision things. I pictured it a little bit bigger. But it was plugged into the wall, and it was giving out a constant noise. It wasn't a loud noise. It was just constant. It never stopped. And so he asked the secretary, what in the world is that thing there? And she said, it's an ambient noise generator. If it's too quiet in here, then we can hear the voices of the people in the different counseling offices, um, you know, giving away private, confidential information. So we need something in here to break up all the sounds so that if, if there's just not a whole lot going on, but there's people in individual offices, no one can make out what's going on because that needs to be private, confidential information. So we, we got this ambient noise generator to protect everyone's privacy. It covers up all the voices that are going on in the world and the room around them. And the man says, well, doesn't it need to be louder than all the other voices? Shouldn't it be just overwhelming everything else around them? And the secretary says, no, studies show that the constancy of the sound tricks the ear so that what is being said can't be distinguished. All the voices are, you're able to hear with with your normal hearing, But because of this constant noise, it just kind of breaks it all up and you're not really able to follow anything that is going on. One kind of noise to cover another. And how sometimes this war that we're going to talk about this morning is like an ambient noise generator in our life, trying to drown out the voice and the power and the message of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. And if we don't, if we aren't careful, if we aren't aware of what James instructs us to do later on in the message this morning, then we'll just live our life with this ambient noise generator washing away the voice of God in our heart and in our life. So we turn to James chapter 4, and and we're just going to remind ourselves that this is a pastor writing to a church that is scattered, but he's writing to believers. He's writing to followers of, of the Lord, writing to people who are who are doing their very best to live the Christian life, even though they may have lost their family, may have lost their friends, may have lost their home, may be living in a new country and not know anyone around them. James is reminding them, and even though in a struggling place in your life, even when things are falling apart, even when you're in a strange country with strange people and strange temptations and every excuse to give up on the Christian life, James feeds them over and over again with this message of of Pure religion lives like this. True Christianity lives like this. The devil doesn't tempt us, the devil tempts us, not God. And, and over and over again, he reminds us of the lessons of the scripture. And what he's trying, I believe, to help us understand this morning is that we are at war. We are at war. If you read the book of James, I've, 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 I don't, I hope I haven't lulled you to sleep with this idea that James is practical. James is down to earth. James is every day. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion. He's at war with you and I, seeking, what is he trying to do? To give us a a, a hangnail? To give us an earache? What does it say? To devour us. He wants to destroy our spiritual life. And we can live our life with this ambient noise generator of busyness and things to do, and places to go, or just not a willingness to surrender and focus and listen to the voice and the message of the Holy Spirit. And we can just live our life each and every day for years, missing out on the war that's going on because we've already put up the surrender flag or we don't even know 
that we've done it. So in this passage, we're going to just look for a few minutes together at three kinds of wars that James talks about in this passage, three different battles that he sees that is common in most churches. It was common in his church. I think it's common in our church. I think it's common in every church. There's no perfect church anywhere. No matter where you go, you'll never find a perfect church. And James says, these are some battles that you and I could face in our own life. And the first battle we have, he says, the first war that we see sometimes is a war amongst each other. Verse 1, he says, what is the cause of fights and battles among you? The assumption there is that there are fights and battles going on among them, and he's helping them to, to think about and to process why those things happen. Why is, why is there arguments? Why do people get upset to the point where they leave the church? Why are there wars out there? Why are battles faced? And thankfully, he doesn't um, just leave the church to answer the question on their own. He gives us the answer. He says, with another question, of course, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? There is a battle going on in, in our hearts today for our way. Let's just call it what it is. I have that very few people in my life and ministry in the Christian church who are all about everyone else's way and not about their own. You can say amen to that. <laughs> I've met very few people in the church who were, a, who were all about God's way and not at all about their own. And we have differences of opinion. We have different ways of looking at things, and we always will. I pray we will always see things differently. But one of the things that troubles me most as a pastor is when there's a get-together, when there's a discussion there are, so, there are so many things going on inside of us that it quickly becomes all about us and not about the Holy Spirit and about each other. And James says, what is it about this battle that you have with each other? And he says it is, it is a sign of something deep inside of you, deep inside of your heart. And he says, don't you know that these battles come because of a war with your desires that are within you. There is a war inside of your own heart, and we're going to get later in a minute to the war within us, but I want to read from the Wesleyan commentary about this passage, just a couple of paragraphs. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you, among Christians? Psalm says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's God's plan, amen? For brethren to dwell together in unity. Surely, brethren, the commentary says, should live together in love and harmony, yet often they do not. Lot caused a quarrel with his uncle Abraham in Genesis 13. Absalom created a war for his father David. Aren't you? Wow, what a story that is in 2 Samuel chapter 13 and on. Even the disciples created problems for their Lord when they argued over who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When you examine some of the early churches, the early followers of God, you discover that they had their share of disagreements. The members of the Corinthian church were competing with each other in public meetings and even suing each other in court. The Galatian believers were biting and devouring one another. Paul had to admonish the Ephesians to cultivate spiritual unity in Ephesians chapter 4, and even his beloved church at Philippi had problems where the woman, women could not get along with each other. 
and it is just a fact of life, if we're not living in touch with the Spirit of God, that there will be wars with each other. And James says, why is this happening? It is because your way is the, the only way. It is because your way is the only way. And can I tell you, I've been in ministry for almost 16 years now, and whenever someone has come up to the front or stood up and said, this is the way it has to be, it has never ended well. It has never ended well. Now, most of the people don't get up there and say those words, this is what I think and this is the only way it's going to be, but they say it by the way they talk. They say it by the way they act. They say it by the words and the tone that they use that everyone in the room knows that it's their way or the highway. Because this battle and this desire that's going on inside of us is, is a war between our way and God's. Now, the fact of the matter is, our way may be God's way. But are we listening close enough to the voice and the Spirit of God to know whether it's our way or His? If it's the battleship who's going to win or the lighthouse. And we can go through life with this inner war within ourselves creating these battles amongst us. And I don't know that I've ever met someone who generally had upon their heart the goodwill and desire for other people to be blessed that was ever a problem in church. The people who were, who were kind, who were gentle, who were submissive, who were, who were thoughtful, I have never once seen a problem in a church in all my years of ministry where someone just out of nowhere decided that they were going to cause a fuss. It is because they, they're sold out to the Holy Spirit. And his way is the only way in their heart and in their life. But James says, there is a place within us, a war that begins when our way has to be the only way. And he says, our desires hit home right there in every way. There's another battle that James talks about going on. And really, it is just a symbol of the first war the war that was within ourselves. And he says, where did all these outward battles start? They start because of the battle that's going on inside of you. And when we talk about the Scriptures and we talk about Jesus, he has come to be Lord of all, right? Lord of everything, not Lord of something, not Lord of some things, not Lord of most things. He's come to be Lord of everything. And he wants to have all of us, and he wants us to give our desires to him. Now, James isn't saying that desires are bad. He is not going back to the first chapter where he says that some people want to blame God for all of these evil thoughts that come into my mind and blame God for all the temptations that we have because those things don't come from God. God gave us a desire to enjoy good food. God gave us a desire to not be lonely. God gave us a desire for sexual fulfillment in the right place at the right time with the right person. God gave us all these natural desires to be fulfilled within his timing and his way. Think of the Garden of Eden. I mean, it was a literally a perfect place in every way. They had everything that they needed. Everything was provided for them. I, they even had entertainment. I mean, what else would you do? I don't imagine the Garden of Eden, but just sit by and watch all the animals walk by and make jokes about them and tell funny stories about the way that they walk or the way, I don't maybe they talked like the serpent. I don't know. We don't know everything that was going on there, but they needed entertainment too. And it all has to be done in the right way. But James is saying there is within the fallen nature of man and womankind, this battle between our desires, our way, and God's desires, his way. And the Garden of Eden is the perfect example. 
perfection in every way. The Holy Spirit was walking with them, literally walking with them. God provided every meal. They didn't have to cook breakfast. They didn't have to cook lunch. Everything was provided and ready for them. They had everything at hand. And yet the devil came and he says, hey, what about that? And the devil knows your apple. (laughs) Sorry, the devil knows your piece of fruit. We don't know that it was an apple. My apologies. That delicacy that the devil is wagging in front of you, saying, hey, come over here. Hey, look at this. Hey, get involved in this. Hey, be a part of that. Hey, go there. Hey, talk to that person. Hey, do that. Is this descriptive of the battle within? And what Satan says to us is the same thing that he says to, said to Adam and Eve that day in the garden. You think God knows best? You're smarter than that. You know it won't be that big a deal. You know you're born to have that. You know you need that. You know you'll only be happy if you give in to that temptation. You know that you'll only be fulfilled if you get that desire met in your life. And there's a war going on within ourselves that is just a symbol of the wars that we have on the outside. And that's why I said it the way I did. I have never met someone who has fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, given in every way over to God, their passions, their desires, their thought life, their relationships, their time, their finances. You just go down the list. Someone who, is, who has surrendered everything to the Holy Spirit. I've never seen them get up and, and cause a stir in church. found this quote in the same commentary I um, read earlier. It says, the people who are our battle within are always looking for that magic something that will change their life, that will make them happy, that will cause all their problems to go away. We're continually looking for that pleasure or that experience or that fun or that person or that place or that getaway that will cause everything to be righted on the inside. But he says, when the real problem all along lies within. And everything that James has said at this point is just a reminder to us when it comes to people who have nothing, whose heart do we have? When it comes to people who who are famous and noteworthy walking into our church versus someone off of the street and how we respond to them. When it comes to how we use our speech and our tongue, when someone offends us, when someone says something that we don't want to hear, when things don't go in the way that we respond in that moment is an evidence to ourselves, to God, to the devil, to everyone of the place where our heart resides. That's why I said this was all leading up to this passage, leading up to this place, because James is saying that all of this stuff is a war that we all fight within. And the things that you and I see on the outside are just a symbolic representation of what's going on on the inside. And so there's a war without and there's a war within. But the passage also talks about a war with God. And that doesn't sound like a war we're ever going to win. The lighthouse is going to win every time. But the Bible says in verse 4, you adulterous people. Now he wrote that to his church. As a pastor, that just, I just, man, I got to think about that one. That's kind of like Jesus calling out to the crowd, you brood of vipers. Bam! 
But God does that, doesn't he? He sends a wake-up call. He sends a message in a way that we, you know, the noise generator of life gets drowned out by the message and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hey, son. Hey, daughter. This is me here. I know that you've been going along just kind of humming through. It's time to get serious now. I love this quote from Lewis. He wrote, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Let me read that again. There's no neutral ground anywhere in the universe. Every square inch, everywhere you go, every split second, every moment of your day and night is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Are we even aware of this? Are, even, are we even willing to acknowledge this reality, this truth, this realization that there is a war within and a war without and, and it all comes together when we think of our relationship with God? Because God says, you know what? The temptation for the church is to be friends with the world. I some pastors would say that's having a television I guess I'm guilty there. It's letting something that you shouldn't watch on the television, any Christian should watch, come onto the screen. It's letting music come onto your stereo that no Christian should listen to. It's letting anger come into your life that God wants no place to be there. It's allowing thoughts and people and and events and things that you do to be a part of you and God wants you to be no part of it. And seldom do we just decide one day just to jump off the wagon and fall headfirst into sinful living. Usually it's, it's one bite at a time, isn't it? That's all it was for Adam and Eve. God didn't say, you know what, you need to, or the devil didn't say to Adam and Eve, you know what, you need to give up on this God thing. He said, just take a bite, just one. You know you want it. It'll taste good. It'll be better than any other fruit he has. And he knows it or he would have let you have it already. And the devil knows, oh man, he does that to us over and over again, every day. Don't pretend that he doesn't. He does it every day for us. Just one bite. No one will know. No one will find out. No one will see except you and God. And he'll forgive you and everything will be okay. But you need that right now. The scariest thing would be to live our life not even realizing that's going on, and we just fall headlong into whatever. If we're feeling strong that day, then we do well. If we're feeling weak and tired that day, then we fall, and we just live this roller coaster. And how many people I've met in my life who just live a roller coaster up and down and up and down in their spiritual life, and there's no victory, there's no growth. They're just back and forth, back and forth, and, and they go 20, 30 years, and they look back and go, what have I been doing? Where was my head? Where was my heart? What was I thinking? And I wonder if they were even aware of the war that was waging around them and inside them all along. Well, war's never a positive thought process. War means people get hurt. James even said people die from it. Things get ugly. Things get nasty. It's not a pretty picture. 
It's not the way God designed us. It's not the way God created the church to live or to function or to operate. The fact of the matter is that he has a different and a better way. And you see that in the passage, and I want to call it God's peace treaty with us. God's peace treaty with mankind. Now, um, I don't know if you've been watching. uh, There was news months ago about um, a certain president of ours trying to arrange a peace treaty with North Korea. And uh, I wonder if sometimes God feels that way about us. He can promise. He can, I mean, the word still stands. The message is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. The blood is still, uh, uh, you know, applied. The blood is still the most powerful force in the universe. And yet, yet just, we we just, I just want to come to church. I just want you when I, when I need you. And James talks about in this passage, I wish I had a whole other sermon or series to go through this, some ways that God offers to restore the brokenness. Because that's, have you ever seen um, follow-up footage after a, a war zone? There's just devastation all around. Houses are busted up, roofs are blown off, cars are just engulfed in flames, and, and every once in a while a small child or a woman will come mm. out of the rubble to see if it's all right. And you know that that can be the church sometimes? Hearts are damaged. Lives are turned upside down. People get upset and say things and do things that they would have never imagined that they would do. And the church can be like a spiritual war zone. And every once in a while, we kind of come up for air. Is it safe? Is it going to be all right? Might be why you're not serving on a committee or in a board position. Might not a ministry Today might not be why you're serving, might be why you're holding back, is because the war came to you and there was damage caused. Maybe you're the one causing the damage. And just real quickly, it's, it's really easy. Everything in the Bible that God talks about is easy to understand. It's how we apply it and, and do we apply it that matters. So he simply says to us, friends, brothers, submit yourselves to God. He's saying, that song this morning, anyone ever heard that version of I Surrender before? I'd never heard it. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. Good, good stuff. I love the, just love the words and the meaning of them. This idea of submission in the New Testament is, is a military term, and it means to, to get in rank, to fall in line. I guess God would be the four-stall general and we're the private. <laughs> But so much of the time, it's the other way around. We're the general, making sure that God is coming alongside, giving approval. And, and James says, flip this, flip it all the way around and, and come back to the place where God is Lord of all. God is the one who gives you guidance. God is the one who gives you approval. God is the one who meets your needs. God is the one who gives you strength when your needs aren't met. God is the one who provides direction in your life and, and continually submit to him. And do you know that's not a one-time thing? You might have to submit to God 30 times every day. That's the war. That's the battle that you and I go through. James says, I want you to come to a place of surrendering your heart to the Lord and, and saying, Lord, I am, I am your son, I'm your daughter, you are God and Lord. And so, Lord, when it, when it comes to the next offering, when the devil wags that piece of fruit at me again, help me to stay Submissive to you. And then he says to resist the devil. 
to resist them. And, and I thought about that, Lord, what does that mean? You know, if, if you're resisting an enemy, then you've got to have equal-sized weapons. Preferably, your technology is more advanced than the enemy. You're going to get blown out of the sky. Can I tell you that you and I are no match for the enemy? Except for the fact, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have something really strong and really simple at our disposal. It's called the word no. I'm telling you, this is deep stuff. This is, this is hard theology here. It really is this realization that when temptation comes, that James just simply says, say no. Find a way to walk away, run away, tell him no, quote scripture. And you've all heard the sermons about the ways to do this. But the fact of the matter is, and the question is, do we? Do we? And James says, Resist him, and he'll run away from you. And then he says, reminds us of the opportunity that we have. And you know I've used this word over and over again, the opportunity to grow closer to God. That's what really is the crux of what he's saying here. There is an opportunity here for you to think about where you're at in life, in your spiritual journey, to realize that the Holy Spirit isn't angry with you. He's not disappointed. He just longs to know you better. He just wants to feel you closer. He just wants to hear your voice and wants you to hear his. And so in the King James Version, the way I memorized it, the Scripture says to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What a beautiful promise that is. I can't tell you how many times in my life the Lord has brought that passage back to me. I'm as close to God as I want to be. And this morning, I might be as far away from God as I've chosen to be. And James says, do you want him? Then draw near to him. Does he feel far away? Then open his word and read it. Does he fear, feel far and distant? Then call out his name. Does he feel distant and maybe like you haven't sensed him in forever? Pursue him. Call after him. Seek his face and he will come near to you. And then essentially what James says is there's got to be some accounting here for the way you've been living. You see, it's not just enough to want to feel better about yourself. It's just not enough to want to feel better about God and and wanting him close. There's also some transformation that has to go on here. And so James says you you got to wipe out that stuff in your life that God doesn't want there. Wash your hands. Get rid of it. Get out of it. And then he says to grieve and mourn. Something about the way we're living, if it's not in alignment with God, if it doesn't doesn't affect us emotionally, then what does that say? He says, and then to humble yourselves before God. And this literally means to place yourself completely at the feet of the Father and say, Lord, in spite of the war without, (laughs) Lord, it may be the damage, the rubble in my own heart, or it may be the rubble out there that my heart caused. Lord, I'm aware this morning that it is because of the war that is within that all those things without are happening. But Lord, I need you. And I long to know you more, and I want you and to be a part of my life in a deeper and more meaningful way. And Lord, here I come. 
all that I am before you. You see me as I am, I'll just say it. I am who I am. And yet I need your love and power and grace in my life. And then the Bible says at the end of that passage in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, this was, and I'll ask the worship team to come up and get ready to close us with our song in just a minute. I haven't preached a sermon like this on, on what would be kind of New Year's Sunday before. It's always been looking forward and looking ahead and getting ready for another year and what God has in store for us. But the more I prayed about it and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, Lord, if we miss this, if we just repurpose ourselves to another year with the same way we lived 2018 and and the rubble is there and the damage is there, then we're just going to repeat again with maybe a little bit more vigor one way or the other. But that we could go into this new year surrendered submitted, humble before the Lord, knowing that he has all of us and that we have all of him. Maybe the greatest invitation for 2019 is is to let the battle stop. That war between you and the lighthouse where you're saying it's my way and God's saying this is my way. I'm a battleship and I'm a lighthouse and one of those two entities is going to come out victorious. Are you willing to submit yourselves to the Lord, to surrender yourself completely to him? Let's just listen to the Holy Spirit as we sing together.